Hello guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo. But first, we do have Brian with us today. What's up, heretics? And guys, don't forget to do all the internet stuff, like, subscribe, comment, and since it's a live stream, go ahead and you can, if you're gonna put in a question, put like a cue or a question on it, and Super Chats always get prioritized because those actually pop up here on StreamYard. But today we are continuing to discuss a few things that uh, we actually, Brian, you and I have wanted to talk about this passage, I think, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Since before we did the original sin video. Right. Exactly. And what we did instead was, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do one big, long video on original sin. And then we will, you know, yeah. eventually discuss these specifically. It was only a short two-hour episode, so we talked yeah. about everything that we needed to. <laughs> Chump change, guys. Just Chump kidding. change. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, so basically, guys, what we're doing today is we're taking a look at Romans chapter 5. And that's because this is a very popular passage for the discussion on original sin, for inherited guilt, and all sorts of stuff, which we'll discuss as we move forward. But um, one of the things I do want to make sure I tell you guys that one is if you do support us on Patreon, we are. I am planning on doing some uh, private live streams there just to talk with you people and kind of do Q&A, things that we can't usually discuss probably on YouTube. But you guys could ask us whatever questions you want in the live stream. So that is something for patrons, patrons and mainly because uh, normally I just say I don't care. You get what you pay for, but they actually do pay for stuff. So uh, yeah. <laughs> we, want, we, we do want to try to do something for patrons only and it feels like the best way to do that is just a q a that where people can do whatever they want and i can just i or brian can just ramble on about whatever we want to ramble on about so uh yeah. anyway um so uh with that said uh my, wait what is micah saying here imagine only painting half your wall will hey shut up leave me alone micah visited me this weekend and he knows that only half my room is dark the rest of the room on this wall not okay i was like what yeah are you talking also about? you didn't paint it someone else did it for you so yeah you're, you're in that bougie pastor lifestyle now where just people do things for you yeah oh well, kind of we had I, I for like a month i could just put in a request to a maintenance guy and he'd come in but we had to do budget slashes so we no longer have a maintenance guy that can just do that so now i have to do all the labor myself i actually oh, have to like work Kind of messed up. Speaking of work, actually, Micah did help us paint this church, uh, actually, on Saturday. He came to visit, and we put him to work. <laughs> uh, he only paint three feet up the wall, though. Sorry, yeah, short joke, Micah. Yeah, it's okay. He's a hobby. He can't help it. Anyway, um, so with that said, we want to kind of just jump into Romans 5 here, because this is, uh, Brian, what are some things that you, you've heard? Because I think often when people hear that we reject original sin, they quote Psalm 51.5, right? Which yeah. Brian has a great video on Psalm 51.5 if you haven't watched it already. Uh, there's been a few times on Twitter where people have used that uh verse against us and i'll go in there like oh i'll show him i'm gonna copy and paste that video of brian doing <laughs> that just to see that on the same twitter account you just did the same thing to the guy I so i just it. we buried him twice it's fine you could do it but it probably didn't uh, click on either link so <laughs> probably not but it's just good to have these as a library so uh they also quote so if they saw 51 5 isn't what they quote they usually quote this uh, in yeah. favor of original sin now when we say original sin brian what, what do we mean by original sin 
yeah, we we do when we're talking about what we don't agree with the doctrine of original sin, which is which was developed and popularized by Augustine of Hippo or Augustine, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. Um, but he believed in um, the idea that we are driven completely by our desires from birth and that our evil desires not only is something that is passed on, but also be from generation to generation, but also the guilt of Adam from generation to generation. So we're not just born with a proclivity towards sin. We're, not, we're actually born guilty of Adam's sin already. So we're already condemned. We're already guilty and we're already destined for hell before we've sinned at all. Um, which then, if you've watched our episode from a couple weeks ago, led to um, that doctrine led to a, a whole thing on the Internet called Ballgate, which was about infant damnation, which if you believe in original sin, original guilt, um, that that babies would be destined to hell. Um, someone at least say that the, the, the non-elect babies are destined to hell. But either way, you have babies that are born guilty already. Um, right. Which we and don't that's why, like what? Which we don't believe in. Right, exactly. So, I mean, that's kind of what a lot of people don't understand with uh, kind of like infant damnation, age of accountability doctrines, those sorts of things are really wrapped into kind of this concept, right? Like that we are born guilty of Adam's sin. We are born sinful. Uh, and like and Augustine taught all sorts of weird stuff. Like if you get into it, like the guy was obsessed with his, his own genitalia. I mean, the guy had a lot of things that he had to say. And a lot of it was really crazy. So you can look it up. I mean, you can find journal articles on what he taught. You can read what he said himself. And you can find that he actually believed like the sin gene, so to speak, was passed on through the seed of a man. Uh, There's a lot of stuff like that. It's really weird when you read it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's this idea that you're born guilty. And what happens is a lot of us are taught in church. And especially if you've been raised in Protestant denominations like Baptist or Reformed or Presbyterian, things like that. Uh, like I was raised Baptist, you were raised Reformed. One of the things that this is just kind of an assumed teaching that you are born guilty. And what a lot of people don't realize, again, is infant damnation. All that stuff is kind of wrapped into this doctrine. And if this doctrine doesn't actually hold up biblically, then it kind of falls apart. And if Augustine, when we can trace this, like we, you could go through history and trace when certain teachings became prevalent or when they appeared at all. And Augustine was the one and is very well known to be the one who championed and first came up with this idea that you are guilty from birth. So it's really important that we mention that that's 400 years later after Christ. Now, does that necessarily always mean that it's wrong just because it's later? No, but it does mean we should be suspect of it, especially if there wasn't any other teachings like that before. And if the consequences of some of those teachings have crazy ends like that babies deserve hell, because even if let's say you don't believe in infant damnation, let's say the infant damnation is not even on your radar, you believe in an age of accountability. Uh, but even so, that you would still be teaching that they're not accountable for that sin, but that baby is still guilty of sin and deserves hell. God just simply graces them or shows mercy upon them to save them anyway, despite the guilt that they have. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a special form of grace that I always like to say that it's it's those that don't believe that infants go to hell, but believe that are we, we are born guilty of Adam's sin, that they have to just add a special grace to infants, which is not found in Scripture which will then make babies innocent, which gets you back to what that what the actual truth is without the layers of doctrine. So you have this added layer of doctrine of original sin from Augustine. And in order to get back to correct view of, of babies, you have to add a special grace on top of that. And but you could also just start here without 
the original sin doctrine altogether, and you have the same end result for babies. Right. So I remember when I affirmed original sin and you and I were probably a couple years into our, our friendship when you and I really started kind of, I guess, confronting this doctrine. And yep. one of the things that you and I have joked around a lot about is how yours and mine's theological journeys have worked out together, because there are certain times where I have really struggled with letting go of a certain doctrine. And Brian has really struggled letting go of a certain doctrine. But it seems like the one that I struggle with like letting go of is the one that you'll just cast off and the one that you'll just cast up and, and vice versa. Like if I cast it off, you're like, well, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> Prove this to me first with the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you do this, like if you do an online program together, you kind of hitch to each other's wagon. So you're like, before you start talking nonsense online, I need to make sure I understand what you're saying. Um, but well, so I think it's a good thing. It's like a behind the scenes thing too. When we're, when we're talking about this online, realize that if one of us brought this up and, and we have become convinced of it, the other one of us is going, well, show me in the Bible where it says that. And we, we start cracking open Bibles and, and looking at word meanings before either of us really um, conforms to the other person's perspective, if that happens at all. Right, exactly. So now when it comes to this particular passage, so I, here's... Sometimes people, I mean, mainly because you and I, one of the biggest things with this show is that you and I do talk a lot back and forth, and we kind of talk this show the way you and I talk about talk with each other in the living room. And yep. we just happen to have people that click on our faces and listen to this conversation, which sometimes can get us in trouble because it means that we sometimes talk with a certain amount of candor with each other that the rest of the world isn't always appreciative of. Uh, and yeah. it's mainly because you and I forget there's other people sometimes in the room, or at least I do. And, uh, <laughs> and Unless you get uh, distracted by the comment section, then you definitely remember that they're here. <laughs> I'm actually doing really good at not staring at that right now. It's, it's taken everything in me not to keep looking there and reading it, I have to keep the show going. But this is your um, prompt, guys, to put the crazier and crazier things in the comment section to distract you. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> but with that said, though, I do want to make sure I understand why people will struggle with this. I struggle with this doctrine. Brian listened to a few lectures on this, read a couple of verses, and just texted me. It was like, and you connected 16 dots and went, yep, original sin doctrine by Augustine is bogus. We we're not born guilty. And I was like, well, hold on, Brian. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's figure and it out. I was out. coming from a total depravity lens that I grew up with. <laughs> <laughs> so you went like complete off ship. And I was like, oh, yep. I have to still wrestle Romans 623 and all these different things. And I was trying to figure it all out. And over time, I realized when I got to Romans 5, and I looked at it and I really was looking at it. I started to realize that it didn't say what I thought it said. And this was also the time when I started taking stuff. I stopped reading within my Baptist tradition and started reading around like other academics and other historians and like textual critics and like what the, uh, linguists and all. These, I started reading more of what experts were saying outside my tradition. And by the way, Baptists also have a lot of those people too, just not what you would consider like your mainstream reads. Okay. So before someone's like, he's throwing Baptists under, no, no, no. Like I'm good with, I'm cool with Baptists. Like I, I really align myself probably the most with like Anabaptists in many ways. So well, if you're trying to challenge your own belief on something going, am I really looking at this in a exegetical way? Then let me, let me hear the opposite views. Let me hear the other ways to describe this verse and see if they hold water. So that's what you were doing. Right, right. Um, so then, so let's just, I guess, kind of get into this. So Romans, it really, so today we are going to examine Romans 5. And if you read Romans 5 as inheriting Adam's guilt, 
and that's the way you understand it, then I ask you to consider this simple question of what if you're wrong? That's what I've had to do. And uh, I try to question myself on this daily, but ask yourself that question humbly. And this is the same question that Brian and I had to ask ourselves. And, you know, let's humbly approach the text and let's not come with a lot of as, as few preconceived notions as we can, because Romans is arguably the greatest letter in the New Testament, but it's also the greatly misunderstood. And it's no wonder as to why, because there's a lot of stuff going on back in the first century that we're kind of separated from and we might not fully understand what's get what was happening here so first let's get into the setup of this so the biggest problem we have in theology as a large is reading our own preconceived lenses into the text this is a process normally called eisegesis or eisegeting into the text means reading things into the text as opposed to exegesis which is reading out of the text what does the text actually say and kind of withholding that um, so although most people are guilty of this of coming with their lenses many of us don't even realize when we're doing it which is why i want to make sure I, we're clear that I, I sympathize with people who might have the wrong view of this stuff and they have really i mean you brian how many times have you talked to somebody about this and they can't even seem to see another way of reading this yeah yeah which is which is a good good thing that we should all measure ourselves with when especially when you have some text you're like i know for a fact this what is what it means but actually just read it word for word verse by verse and actually see if it actually is saying what you're what you think it says and that's i think one of the things that we really humbled ourselves to romans 5 when you really got into it, nowhere you'll see as we go through this, nowhere does it talk about being born guilty. Nowhere does it have imputation of guilt from Adam, Adam to us. You have some it talks about things that are are leading to death, leading to sin. And we have the setup of of the first Adam and the second Adam, which is which is Jesus. And we're going to have this parallel that we're going to talk about. But when you think it's there and go, I know this says born guilty. Probably the best two words to look for is born and guilty. And if you're not seeing that phrase in there, you might have you might not have that doctrine really coming out of that text. And then you have to question yourself, are you reading that text with a lens that is causing you to read it improperly? So this isn't us going, we know better than everyone else. This is the end of a, a big humility journey for both of us on Romans 5. And we encourage you to have some humility too. And you might come out of it differently than us, but we just want you to examine the text word by word, context by context, and see if it says what you think it says. Absolutely. And by the way, if Romans is a book that you really just are fascinated with, or you really want to know, like, what does scholarship say about it? What are there certain things in the background or in the text that I don't understand? There is a great program you can watch every Thursday night on Trinity Radio called the Biblical Rogues Gallery. And we are walking through Romans with people like Dr. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Braxton Hunter. We have um, MJ Jackson on, who is a PhD candidate as well. Then we have Nick Quince, who's a PhD qu candidate who is on there. We had Dr. Layton Flowers on with us. And then you have me, a non-PhD candidate currently. <laughs> <laughs> You're just there for color commentary? <laughs> the, I came in through the back door, baby. <laughs> Missed it by that much. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so if anyone thinks that we do, we're not willing to mock ourselves, uh, we are. So anyway. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I'm definitely willing to mock Will all the time. Yeah, I mean, if you don't make fun of yourself, you miss the best mm -hmm. jokes in life. 
And although last time we did live stream, I got a lot more mockery. So I was so to, happy about that. That was such a breath of fresh air. Let's keep that energy going. It, it makes me just <laughs> mm, makes me feel better. And a will is uh, basking in it. It's like about time. It only took us five years of doing the church split. Finally, <laughs> the tides have turned because everyone else was like the came for Will, stayed for Brian people. Anyway, <laughs> um, Brian has his own cult following and the cult following. All right. Enough about that. All right. Let's. <laughs> so the question is, is if Romans 512 doesn't teach inherited guilt, what the heck does it teach? And are my just are we just doing gymnastics in the text? Right. Well, really, the answer to your quandary is that this is a parallelism, and we're going to look at the parallelism at the end, but we first kind of want to just talk through the text, okay? So before we examine the parallelism, though, let's be sure that we understand the text and what it is saying and not what it is not saying. So many people who think this teaches original sin say they are just reading the text for what it says. I hear that all the time. But are you? And likely you're not, because I think there's a big blind spot. And I will feel like Brian and I are, are going to talk about this quite a bit. So uh, shall yeah. we jump in now that we're yeah, 19 I think the only minutes thing I'll just the caveat here is that I know, you know, for me, I'm a 10,000 foot view person. And I'm, I'm if I'm watching this for the first time, I'm going, all right, they don't believe in original sin doctrine. What the heck do they believe? Do they even think that we're sinners? How do we if we need Jesus, we're sinners. And 100 percent, we agree. We believe that all sin, we believe that all fall short of the glory of God. We believe that we need a savior. We need, we believe that you need to be, you need to repent in order to know that you are a sinner and know that you need Jesus to save you from your sin. And so we, we don't, we're not taking humanity off the hook here. We are affirming the guilt of humanity and, but we're affirming it because we're all sinners. We are doing the sinning. We're not the only thing that we're really excluding here is the imputation, the inheritance of guilt from Adam. And that's what we're right. going to get at. So if, you, if you're at least like worried, like what do these heretics believe? It's not that we're saying that we aren't sinners. We're And we're going to talk about there's kind of three states of humanity that I think Romans 5 exemplifies. And I think that helps clarify some things. But we're not... <laughs> We're not saying no one's a sitter. Right, so exactly. And also works down for a little bit longer. Take them all later he, if you want. And just consider the the reality that, you know, if you believe in inherited guilt, then you are going to struggle with things like Ezekiel 18.20, where the sins of the father is not counted on the son. And it is quoted in Kings and in Chronicles. It's like a big thing where it's like you can't punish the other people for his sins. And that's important in the ancient context, because what would oftentimes happen is that you would not just punish the father, you punish the son, and you'd punish his entire family. And so God was really saying, I'm not like that. I don't punish a group of people for the sins of their father. Well, if Adam's the father of us all, well, you have a problem, especially if you believe in a literal Adam, right? So that's, that comes into, it comes into play there. So you do have to kind of wrestle with that. So let's just talk about it. All right, let's talk about it. So let's first look at the uh, verses 12 through 14. So we're going to start looking at verse 12, which is, of course, uh, the main verse that people use. But we should look at the entire passage. So it says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. 
So first off, we see right here, it says that just as sin came into the world through one man. So we see something entering the world and something that entered the world through one man specifically. But what was that? Well, it was sin. We see sin entered the world. And then what is the result of this sin? We see that it's death. So what does it say passed on to all men? Death, right? So we see death is what's passed on. We don't see a thing about guilt coming into the text yet. Um, and here's what's funny. So people are going to go, yeah, but sin. So sin fell on it. But Brian, I noticed you highlighted here or emboldened in our notes because all sinned. So, yeah, that's the why for why did death spread? We have we have sin entering the world because of Adam and we have death because of sin and we have the spreading of sin by the sinning of everyone. People continuing to sin is causing that death to spread and that death is a corrupting force. It's a it's a tyrant in the world. Right. And that's actually what some people don't understand. So um, and I, I don't know. I just saw this one by Jarrett. I don't know if they're joking or I think they're joking. I think they know that we believe in sin, but it's like, you guys don't believe in sin. I think they're joking because they seem pretty like, yeah, anyway. But yes, we do believe in sin. But what we see in Romans, Paul is really, if you really get into the language being used, he actually is the book of Romans. There's a lot of Exodus imagery. He's trying to show how Jesus is the new Moses who leads us into freedom out of bondage away from our slave master, which is why there's a lot of slave language in Romans and sin is actually like, if you look at it, it's almost like a personification, like it's a person, like it's a thing that has also got a personality in the language he uses. And what people have noted about the way he talks about it is that sin, he paints as a cosmic tyrant. So it's this, it's this tyrannical thing. It's this corrupting force. It's this thing that enters creation and corrupts it and breaks it and just ruins a lot of things in it. So it's not like when we think sin, we always think a violation of a moral law, even though that is included in sin, but that's included in this idea that sin is a cosmic tyrant that corrupts things, that cor corrupts creation itself. So these are important things to understand. So sin in Romans and most Pauline letters actually is tied to slavery. It's tied to slavery language. Paul describes it as a sort of, again, cosmic tyrant, not a guilt that is imputed. So why did death spread? As you noted, Brian, because all sinned or all have committed sin. If you look at the way the Greek works, it's not saying that all uh, from like birth or whatever, it's saying that all have committed a sin. So he's talking kind of generally here, which he's doing a lot through the book of Romans, because he's also talks about in Romans like one and two and three, you get a lot of this discussion of Jew and Gentile, all Jews, all Gentiles. And of course, you could always say, but what about this? And there's always an exception to the rule. But when he speaks generally, you got to let him speak generally, right? So it's important exactly. that we, so he's not talking about like, I don't think, babies are what's in view here. <laughs> He's not discussing about birth states. That's really important to note here, because if you read the entire logic flow of Romans, he's never talking about babies. That's not what's in sight. So we have to be careful before we're like, ah, so all have committed sin. Babies must have committed sin. Then that doesn't necessarily follow because he also there's actually verses in this very passage that contradict that. So Anyway, so this passage is explaining how mortality and death entered creation. This resurrects images of Eden, 
being separated from the tree of life, lest you quote, live forever. And if you will eat of it, you will surely die, right? These are, this is death and mortality imagery, right? Yeah, so, exactly. If you eat of the fruit, if you sin, you will die. Death, sin, death, continue to sin. Death continues to spread. Exactly. So we're, we have this, so it really is that. So it parallels a theme in the Torah, which we see all throughout, like you read the Torah, read the law of Moses, and you'll see this constantly, this idea of choose life, choose life, choose you to say whom you will serve. As for me, I also will serve the Lord. I am the God of life. There's a lot of life and death imagery, and life is always on the side of God, and death is always like on the side of evil, right, and corruption. So that's why it says choose life, right? So throughout scripture, God is portrayed as the God of life and death being that which is foreign to him and an abomination to his creation. It makes very clear that death is actually kind of opposed to God's will. He didn't want death because again, he is the God of life. So it does, does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And I just, just keep looking here as we go through those of you that still adhere to original sin doctrine, just look. Was there any part in these few verses that say anything about being born guilty? It does not say that at all. Right. And when he talks about the violation of the law, he's talking about knowledge. And we we will talk about that as we go. But if you read throughout Romans, you see this constant, I think, that knowing that what sin is is what's necessary. You have to know the law in order to be held accountable to the law. So in order for sin to be counted, you have to know that it's sin. Well, a baby can't know it's sin. Therefore, a baby has not sinned because it cannot do that which it does not know. Yeah, so, and Adam and Eve knew to not eat of the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good, good and evil, and they did it anyways. They knew, they had knowledge to not do it. They knew what God had set the standard for, and they did it anyways. And we know that they knew it, because when Satan asks Eve, she tells Satan that. She even says, we can't touch it either, which there's some debate on if that's her expanding God's standard or if that's if that's how Adam explained it to her and she was restating it from Adam. Or it's just it's just a colloquialism on how she was like, trying to say, we're not supposed to do anything with this fruit. Right. So. Yeah, that's 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 always a fascinating debate. Actually, I've I yeah. always I, I it's one of those one it's like one of those ones that you want to have with your bros at late at night when you're just having drinks and be like, so what do you think she meant? And you guys might stay up to two in the morning contemplating things. Anyway, and we do get into just, that a little bit in our Genesis series. If you want to hear us banter about that more, is that just <laughs> us? I feel like that's only us that do that until like two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Uh, weird friendships. All right. So, <laughs> but then he goes, sin was, he says, sin was in the world. So remember what it's sin? It is corruption and tyranny. So that's important to remember. Sin was in the world. Corruption and tyranny was in the world, but sin isn't counted without the law. So we have to have accountability. And in order to have accountability, have to, knowledge is required, right? So he, then he goes, but death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, why the heck does death reign stop at Moses? <laughs> <laughs> did, Brian, do you do you have a do you do you have any thought on that real fast before I jump in? Yeah, well, you can go ahead and jump into your to your note on it, but I think it's an interesting point. And you know, he's Paul's bringing up the obvious question from the interlocutor, right? Where they're saying, "Well, you said that that sin isn't counted where there is no law." 
and death is coming from sin. But we see this time from Adam to Moses, the time be before the law of Moses is given, we have still death reigning in the world. We still see death continuing to spread. Right. So he goes, so the reason why death reigned from Adam to Moses is because the law is what brought life. And that was Moses. Moses brought the law. So that's why we call it the law of Moses. And that it was considered that which brings life. However, we also know through the letters of Paul that the law, sin only fed off the law to bring forth more death because the knowledge now of sin brought accountability and people kept falling into it and death, de the tyranny of death and sin continued to reign further, right? And you could, there's even, that's even why some people have the theories that like mankind's lifespans were longer and then eventually got shorter. Some people believe that's a theological point why their years are so long, but it's just interesting little side notes here on why people have come to some conclusions. But because the law brought life, we know that sin only fed off the law to bring forth more death which is why the incarnate Christ putting sin to death in Romans 8, 3 is so important. He brought life where the law could not. That is a very important theme to remember throughout Romans 5 and actually Romans in general and Paul, the entire Pauline corpus is that Christ brought life where the law could not because mankind fell short of being able to fulfill said law and the law only brought more knowledge of sin which brought more corruption but Christ destroyed sin that's what Romans 8 3 is talking about was like he took on the likeness of sinful flesh and he put to death sin in the flesh crucifying it right he nailed it to the cross in other words he executed sin he executed the tyrant he destroyed it through the incarnation by living a holy and perfect life until you get on the likeness of flesh and putting sin, a sin to death in the flesh does that make sense yeah and Paul's going to put a little bow on this point later and we'll get to this I think it's like verse 20 where, you know, sin is increasing because the knowledge of the law is increasing. and But the law also brings the possibility of Christ because Christ's righteousness through following the law and through being the incarnate Christ is able to allow for grace to increase even more. So the, the law, while it's bringing more trespass, it's also bringing more possibility for grace and life. And again, we have we're already starting to see the parallels here between first and second Adam. Right, exactly. So, um, all right, sorry, I'm pulling something up for a question later on that I know we're going to have to address. All right. So uh, now Adam is called finally a type of the one who was to come. So what does that mean? <laughs> but I think what we should know how to read the passage. <laughs> exactly. He's telling you exactly. He's like, it's typology. He, so he's bringing up a parallel of typology. He is not talking about inherited birth states. It's typology, not stark literalism, not metaphysics. I think that's what's funny is that we sometimes like read metaphysics into the text when the text half the time is not even talking about metaphysical things. Yeah. Exactly. Well, if you're listening to like a TED talk or something, the guy's like, here, let me paint a, paint a picture for you. Let me give you an analogy. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to take that literally. And it's like, he, he literally just said he was giving, giving you an analogy. <laughs> if he's give, if he's saying it's analogous, then assume the context is analogy. <laughs> so here he's Weird. saying, I'm giving you a typology. So don't be surprised when someone says, well, this is actually in the context of a typology. 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, in other Call words, get shot. with the, get with the <laughs> metaphor. Get with the metaphor. Uh, so when talking about the different types of sin, we see an interesting point in this passage. It's not focused on their guilt, but on their sinning. They are doing sin. All have sinned. All sin. Those who are sinning. Those who's sinning does this. And it, that if you let Michael Heiser has some great articles on Romans five as well, where he breaks some of this down. It's not talking about imputation of guilt because the cause of death and it's spread. People are sinning. So basically it's not talking about imputation of guilt. Okay. So about death and how it's spread. Yeah. He's right. not saying they're not born sinners. They're he's talking about past tense and he's talking about active. So all have sinned. They have done something. They're not all sinners. They have sinned. Sinning makes them sinners. Not being born makes them sinners. And he says those Wait, who sin. Right, we're talking about the typology between, you know, um, the sin of Adam and the sin of the rest of the rest of us is a different type, but still sinning. It's focusing on the sinning, not the sinner. Right. We sin. We don't sin because we're sinners. We're sinners because we sin. Yeah. Just like. You know, I'm a glutton because I eat. I don't eat because I'm a glutton. You know, it's just it's, it's the reverse logic to say the other way around. So, but, okay, verses 5, 17, 15 through 17. So he goes, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift... Is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned, there's that tyranny language again, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So you see this idea of reigning. We see this idea of tyranny and ruling language. And again, this is a slave language. That's why, Jesus, that's why he says, uh, me, a slave to Jesus Christ, right? He, he acknowledges that this is slave language. Um, yeah, and, and I think this is really where it's getting important because we're, he's comparing two things, right? He's comparing... The, the death and destruction and the reigning of death through the first Adam and his first trespass to the righteousness in life and the grace that is given through Jesus Christ and his gift. And if we take the original sin doctrine, we take inherited guilt, we're actually reversing the power of Christ's death. We're inverting it and we're making sin the more powerful thing than Christ in this passage. And, that's, I, and I think some people might take a little bit of issue with that. But notice here that Paul is, is making a comparison. Again, he's a, we're talking about typologies here. And he's comparing what is much more is the grace given by Jesus. If everyone is born already guilty, your best case scenario is that Christ is, is able to equal the destruction power of sin and save everyone. Right. But we know that not everyone is saved unless you're universalist. We are not. Then you have this problem of Christ's gift, Christ's righteousness is only giving life to some where Adam's sin is giving death to all. 
Right. So, and that's, it's really important that we acknowledge that because of imputed guilt, like everyone's born fully condemned, fully guilty, despite doing anything yet, despite knowing anything yet, then you make sin the more powerful, uh, the more powerful entity in this passage, because in which actually reverses the whole entire meaning, right? Like, so the free gift isn't like the sin of Adam. So this free gift of God isn't like the sin of Adam, because although many died because of Adam's sin, he says, how much more will grace be given? It abounded more for many, abounded more. Okay, so he's saying that whatever happened with Adam, Christ is more than. So consider that as you think an imputed guilt, because it's going to become important, especially verses 18 and onward. So if original sin is true, then all men are guilty right away, wholesale. And there is no greater power since most die without Jesus Christ. One trespass brings judgment, he says, and condemnation. So, right, if I if I knowing if I sin against God's law, I am condemned and I'm under judgment because I sinned against a holy and perfect God. Just one sin puts me in a state of condemnation. But then he goes, however, Christ's one gift defeats all other trespasses and at least a justification. Now, before some of you guys get the wrong idea of what justification means, I think some people need to understand this too. We always think of it as this like, you're saved and you're saved forever kind of language. But justification isn't just that you're declared righteous. It's transformative language. You are more transformed to be like Christ. So it, he defeats all and you're justified. In other words, you are transformed or being transformed to the likeness of the image of Christ. So there's this idea of ourselves changing in that sense. So um, anyway, now, um, sorry, I kind of keep moving. I'm starring questions as I see them and we'll address them at the end. So if by one man death reigned, again, tyranny, mortality, not guilt imputation, how much more will great will reign in life and righteousness through one man, Jesus? So keep in mind, if death reigned, he's saying more so with Christ. This doesn't make sense if you're born guilty and you have no choice, but suddenly the salvation part becomes uh, conditional to some degree or other, right? Like you're born this way, but you're not born this way, but this one's somehow greater. <laughs> so does that make sense, Brian? Do you see why it's like sin? If you understand it's imputed guilt, you actually make sin higher up here because like, well, this one, you're born this way and is unchanging. This one is only if it's conditional. There yeah. is a problem with the way the powers are weighed. Yeah, so you that's see this parallelism that he's he's staging up, and he's also showing that in this parallelism, one is greater, and it's Christ's gift of life and righteousness. It's not Adam's gift <laughs> or lack thereof, his cause, his leading to us with sin and death. So you have right here's the parallel, right? Adam equals sin and death. Second Adam, Christ equals righteousness and life. And Christ, the second Adam, is greater than the first Adam. Right, because life is greater than death. And, and the result. Yeah, right. right uh, yeah, uh, life is greater than death. The Messiah is greater than the first Adam. That's the parallel being drawn here. Not anything about imputations, or imputated natures, or anything along that nature. Okay. And, and your point, too, on the singular trespass, 
brings one, it brings condemnation, singular. And that's also why works-based salvation doesn't make sense because one sin pulls you out of the possibility for life with God. The only thing that can save that is not your righteousness. You can't do one sin and then just righteous, 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 righteous. You're already stained. Death is ruling over you. Sin is, is reigning. But the righteousness of Christ, who worked through the law, that has also been brought up here, is able to cover your sins with Christ's righteousness. And that's the trans transformative power. That's the gift of life and righteousness and salvation. Right. Exactly. Now let's get to the one where, so this is where the idea of inherited nature is from birth or, or imputation in my mind entirely falls apart in Romans five. And by the way, I should mention this in the scholarly world uh, and like amongst major theologians, Romans five is pretty well broadly accepted as not teaching inherited guilt. It's only like a small select group that I have found anyway, at least in my experience, I'm speaking anecdotally here, but most everyone's like, this isn't teaching what everyone seems to think it teaches. Um, and these are experts on the text. And I just find that to be kind of ironic, but whatever. Yeah. And a lot of times, right. We're, we're, we're speaking here, right. The church split is we're talking real life and we're talking, this is where it comes up in the church with lay people, with people that are, are reading the Bible, they've been taught a certain thing. You have pastors that have gone to Bible college. They were given a certain systematic, and that's what they know. And we're trying to challenge you and challenge others to go back to Scripture and what does it really say. And so, yes, we're gonna you're going to run into that with your Internet Christians. You're going to run into that with Christians that are in your church, and that's okay. And they might go right to that, these verses, and that's why we're talking about it, because even though the scholarship agrees that these verses are not talking about imputated guilt from Adam, it doesn't mean we don't need to talk about it. So we're going to talk about it and hopefully we'll help give you the ability, give you the ideas, and maybe just give you the perspective to humble yourself to what the scripture the scripture is actually saying. Right. And, and hopefully come to the conclusion we did. This kind of goes into part of our mission too, where we want to kind of bridge that gap between like what the Academy says and what normal people say. We do it through having a fun little talk show. So, yeah. <laughs> um, because theology should be fun. But anyway, verses 18 through 21. Brian, do you want to read that since I've been kind of yes. doing all the chat chatter here? Yeah. You like to talk more than me. I just like to listen and, and make snarky comments. So anyways, <laughs> I will not shy away from reading scripture. Romans 5, 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen, Paul. Preach it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold on. I'm responding to um, at the end. There we go. Will's just, are you just tweeting people right now? Or? Yeah, I'm tweeting people. I'm ignoring you. Uh, no, I'm just responding to this. Our Rodriguez guy in the live stream, they've been arguing about Leviticus 5.17 and knowing whether knowledge is necessary for sin and all that this entire time. And Jordan 
Thornburg, I believe, has been absolutely winning, but that's just me. <laughs> Mainly because I agree. So anyway, um, we do enjoy the chat replay. We'll go back and look at it sometimes because you guys. We have do. Some we'll scroll through. Like, did you catch this? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, it makes for a good time after the show. It gives me a reason to go back to what we did. Um, anyway, so this is where, in my mind, inherited guilt just entirely falls apart because read this text as imputed guilt or as in or as natures from birth so because if the one trespass mentioned here from adam means unilaterally from birth then that must equal universalism if you're going to have the, a consistent hermeneutic because he goes one trespass led to condemnation for all men just so the act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So <laughs> you can't have, and this is the, what drives me nuts. And you know this uh, at the church I was at previously, that I had a discussion on this and no one, I, uh, when we were dealing with this very topic, and it was funny because no one addressed my point here in verse 18. Uh, yeah. I, I know what, like These are the couple, same sentences, by the way. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the exact same sentence. This, uh, I, the, uh, the intern uh, attempted to, do his best to defend it. And I was like, you didn't address my point. So the point is moot. And here's where it is. You cannot say that one trespass led to condemnation for all men means unilaterally from birth, this is your state. And then suddenly say that justification of life for all men equals something that's very conditional and XYZ that you have to strive for, that you have to believe in. And I start all of a sudden qualifying it with all these other things. If all means all, and it all means from birth, then this is universalism, period. And so this is uh, this becomes an inconsistent hermeneutic. And now I don't blame people who have this, like I mentioned the intern or other people uh, on the church board. Many people were just taught this and what, they don't even see it when it's in front of them. And I didn't see this when it was in front of me. And I pastored for like, what, five years up to the point when I confronted this? Yeah. like. I was a lead pastor and then suddenly I was reading, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> that's, that's what we're just trying to remind you. Just go back. Does it actually say what you think it says? Right. It's amazing how easily our brains can just put in an idea into a sentence with us, not even realizing the connotations of it. Right. So for us by one man's, uh, one man's disobedient, disobedient. Oh no. Oh, oh, you also emphasize, I thought this was great. You emphasize the idea of trespass led to condemnation. And then that the righteousness of Christ leads to justification. In other words, not born to, not born to yeah. leads to like, you're not born in Walmart, uh, if, but I could lead you to Walmart. You could turn around at any point, right? So that's kind of the idea is being led to something. Yeah, the same me as putting being a black piece of tape over my dash where the gas gauge is leads to me being stranded on the road with an empty gas tank. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so for us, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners now. Keep in mind that, that means that they weren't born that way then, right? They're made into this eventually. So by one man's obedience, the many were what? Will be made righteous. Yeah, if you so, take made sinners here as born born guilty, born evil, born guilty of Adam's sin, then you have everyone is made righteous. <laughs> they're made they're made followers of Christ, they're made in Christ. 
in the same way. It's in the same sentence. You can't flip the meaning of these words halfway through the sentence and have it mean something else. Exactly. So condemnation for all men, if this was the case, would only at lead, logically lead to justification for all men. So if all means unequivocally all across the entire globe, right? If and you're like, hold mean- on, hold on, hold on. There's conditions. There's conditions. You have to do this. You have to, you have to believe this in order to be to be saved. Okay. Then it would also follow that there are conditions in order to be a sinner, like sinning. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. All right. So, then uh, let's see. So if all means unilaterally, unilaterally from birth, then all men are saved, period. Okay. And so we, now congratulations. We have you're universalist. data that says that's wrong. We have this lots of biblical data that says that we're not, not everyone is saved. This is why a good, consistent uh, Calvinist should just become a universalist. Like, we can't do anything. God didn't do it all. He saved everybody equally. Like, that would be the most consistent thing for a Calvinist to probably do. It, it does remove some of the grotesque parts of Calvinism. I will give them that. And we have run to a couple universalist Calvinists on Twitter. And it's been it's been interesting. I've kind of enjoyed talking to him. Um, so one man's sin, uh, he says, uh, one man's sin, many made sinners, one man's obedience, many made righteous. Now, does many suddenly mean everybody? Like, this is where it's like, you're got to get with the typology. You got to get with the parallelism. You got to get with the general language he's trying to convey the way of life and the way of death. That is what he's trying to convey here. Um, so if many means again, so if all means unilaterally from birth, at least a justification, well, if many means unilaterally from birth, then all men must be saved too. So you're having it again, an inconsistent hermeneutic here. So we see reference, and by the way, this idea of a parallelism, we'll talk about more, but it's like the most obvious way that Pharisees and Jews and rabbis taught, especially in the first century. They were really big on parallelisms. Well, wouldn't it make sense that that a Jewish Pharisee like Paul would be using (laughs) very typical teaching methodology in his great letter of the Romans? And none of this is by accident. He's not being sloppy. Uh, uh, Craig Keener, a great New Testament scholar, estimated that I wanted to say that it was like $2,200 in our money to get this letter written based on by buying the, like, you know, the parchment for it, the ink, getting it mailed there, the shipping, the, the all of it. But probably our, our level of $2,200. This isn't an accident, okay? This isn't him being sloppy. He's being very specific. And the people in the first century would have gotten with the metaphor. They would have understood it. He is a, he was a very clear, um, it was a very clear thing. So um, that they would have used. So anyway, uh, so we see reference to the law incre- increasing here, right? Due to knowledge of the law, but where sin continued to increase, what do you say? Grace the more. Grace grew even further. So again, if, if this is inherited guilt, you are running into a problem here where you are kind of making sin more powerful than Christ, as opposed to simply saying that sin was an evil tyrant, but even though it latched onto the law and used the law to bring more tyranny, uh, grace grew even further because Christ came and destroyed that sin, right? Instead of getting with that parallel. So the sin of mankind stumbling under sin's tyranny, the sin of mankind's stumbling under sin's tyranny brought grace. 
How is the question? Because God saw their stumbling and sent Christ to live a perfect life and to destroy sin's power over man. This is why he follows it up at the end with the final thought that he does. Sin, the tyrant, reigned in death, but grace through righteousness leads to eternal life. That's the main, that's the main thrust of this argument, if you will. So um, basically, this whole passage echoes much of what the early church taught, that there are two ways of life, a way of life and a way of death. Um, Brian, did you want to speak about that real fast yeah. there? Yeah, the to live in Adam is to focus and live to the mortal flesh, right? We talk about when you're, when you're following Christ, you're dying to flesh. You're dying to this lifestyle. You're dying to this adherence to Adam, this old way. And to live in Christ is a trust in Christ's work and to be resurrected from the death that was caused by Adam, not that he imputed the death to you, and you get to have eternal life. So as, as Moses of old once said, choose life and live because this, this one man's disobedience, this one man's obedience forgives all your trespasses. His work, Christ's work is greater than the tyranny of sin. And it's the iron fist of death. And that's why we love Christus Victor, because it shows the victory of Christ over sin and death. And I think we can't understate that. And I think we need to be careful of understating Christ's victory by trying to make it really important how bad sin is. All Christians agree, sin, bad. We all agree. We can kind of end, I think we should have a moratorium on which sect of Christianity thinks sin's more bad? Because it, it, we all agree it's bad. We don't need to argue about that part. We need to be focused on the work of Christ and how awesome it is. And it's awesome because of sin entering the world. It's a corrupting force. It's tyrannical. And it's corrupting all facets of creation. But Christ's grace and life is even greater than that corrupting force. Right, right, 100%. So as Moses of, Moses of old once said, choose life and live because this, because this one man's obedience forgives all your trespasses. His work is greater than the tyranny of sin. And again, it's iron fist of death. So that is what it's getting at here. So let's talk about some verses that people are like, okay, great, maybe you're right here, but babies still die. And how do you square it with these other verses? I think yeah, that- I want to say yeah, and I want to say one thing real quick before we get into that, Will, is that I think this is a great, we talk about this a little bit online, really this, and I think Romans 5 really exemplifies this. There are three states of human beings. We have innocence, we have guilty, and we have righteousness. And the, those are all righteous, and those are all three states that we can be in. And we are born innocent, and that's exemplified in verse 13. Sin is not counted where there is no law. There's no law because there's no knowledge of law for babies. They don't know what is right or wrong yet. And we become guilty through sin. Verse 18 exemplifies this. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. There's that parallelism. And then same thing in verse 19 with righteous. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So this is this is what helps you kind of like understand where we're coming from. We don't think babies are born guilty. We don't think they're born righteous either. They're born innocent. 
Right. That's the thing that many people get mixed up. And I've already been seeing that on Twitter. They're like, well, you think babies are righteous. And, uh, and I'm like, no, no, no. I think babies are innocent. I think there's a difference between being innocent and being righteous. Being righteous is I know what's wrong and I choose to do that, which is good all the time. I am perfectly righteous against the face of evil. Well, if you sin innocently, like my daughter's three years old, she does things that she doesn't understand. She does things I'm like, no, no, honey, we don't do that. Well, that means she's sinning against me. No, she just doesn't know any better. Yeah. Uh, you, you're, you have a son that, you know, same thing. You know, he does things that you, that he doesn't know are sinful. Yeah. And I think it's important, especially as parents, to think about, I think sometimes we confuse the things, sitting against us as parents and sitting against God, right? I might tell my son, hey, don't do that. And if he does, he's sitting against me. But it's not that he has the, the, the knowledge of the law yet. So he is not, he's not accountable. He's not sitting against God yet because he's not going to be held accountable to that because he's not, he doesn't have the knowledge of it. So I think a lot of times we kind of, mix those like oh my child didn't said did something that i told him not to do so therefore they're a sinner here we go vipers and diapers evidence i don't know what you crazy people think we're clearly we're giving birth to a whole bunch of sinners no they become sinners by sinning and that sin is held they're held accountable to that sin through the knowledge of that sin 100 percent so um i'm pulling this up to do again i'm prepping some things for questions as i see them go through as you're talking so all right so now you can get your point that you wanted to make. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So some of the things. So one of the things I'll be asked as soon as I start challenging people, this is I says, well, all have fall, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So babies are part of all there. But the, and again, this idea of all means all unilaterally from birth is kind of the idea here. But all doesn't mean uh, unilaterally from birth in this context. In Romans 3, it is discussing Jews and Gentiles, not babies. He, he starts off by talking about the sin of the world. He talks about the Jews and how they are with a relationship with the Gentiles. And then he's like, I know you Jews think that you might be better than the Gentiles because of X, Y, Z. But bottom line is, all have sinned. And so you have sinned and they have sinned. All have sinned. He's speaking generally to these people groups trying to bring peace to them as there's this disagreement between Jew and Gentile at the Church of Rome. There's some tension here amongst the people. So he's talking generally about Jews and Gentiles. He's not talking about babies, not babies. That's not what's in picture here. This Jew well, and, and Gentile if, relations. If you're taking it that woodenly where it's like, oh, no, no, no. Will and Brian, you guys are idiots. It's it's all. He says all. Okay, so Jesus too? Well, no, no, no. Hold on a second. It's not Jesus, right? We got to have an exception. We have exceptions for Jesus. Okay, so we have an exception for Jesus. Why do, Why can't we also have an exception for babies? Or we shouldn't take it that woodenly and understand that if we take it that woodenly, you, it implies to Jesus. And we know verse after verse after verse, Jesus did not sin. It right. says it explicitly. Exactly. So if he's like us in every respect, then he would have had to have been inherited the guilt as well. And that doesn't seem to follow from what you just said, right? And what Paul said and many others. <laughs> yeah, so, he's saying when he's saying all, he's meaning all categories he's talking about. And I saw there was a comment in there about you mean this means babies that, that Gentiles and Jews didn't have babies? No, we're just saying those two categories, Jews and Gentiles, was Paul saying that they all are sinners. There's not one category that's better than the other here. Yeah, so... um then, so, okay, falling short of God's glory is, 
that's the another thing people kind of get mixed up. So in the Protestant world, we think it falls short of God's glory here. It's, it's not falling short of God's moral perfection. That's kind of what we think. Like, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of fulfilling this law. That's not actually what he's getting at there. Now, it's not to say that we're not sinners. That's, that's in other passages. But what he's getting at here is actually really a lot deeper than that. Uh, it's really tied to Psalm chapter eight is what he's trying to point towards. And there's a lot of a, a lot of imagery here that's to pull from. And again, N.T. Wright and other scholars have pointed this out. Uh, it, but it's really tied to Psalm eight, where it discusses mankind being God's crowning glory of creation. So it's, uh, when the Bible talks about glory, it's really when Paul talks about glory, he's really talking about two things. He's talking about the rest, re, the restored creation. So this idea of God's glory, this this great majesty of creation that will be restored or he's can be talking about the vocation of mankind being made in God's image as the stewards of his earth. So the glory of God in me is that I am created in his image and that I have a vocation to be a steward of his earth. Okay. As a son of Adam, so to speak. So we have all fallen short of our vocation is what he's trying to get at here, which is far deeper than I just have like violated some moral code. It's, I have not been a proper steward of God's creation, which is why death keeps raining, by the way. <laughs> so it's a lot deeper than that, than just this, oh, I violated, a, I said a little white lie. That's not what he's getting at. He's saying that you, we all have fallen short of this great vocation God has put before us to be great stewards of this earth, to follow in him and to fellowship with him in the creation properly. So, the glory of God we have fallen short of is our vocation, our image-bearing stewardship. Anyway. Then yeah, the our intended purpose. Like, if we're like, our intended purpose was this beautiful wedding cake. And Satan comes along and swack and knocks it on the floor. And now it can't fulfill its purpose. Jesus comes back along, puts it back together. And here we go. We have the beautiful wedding cake once again. Christ right. is restoring the what we were intended for for creation. Right, exactly. So then if we go to the the next one that I hear people brought up a lot, it bring up as soon as you start discussing this, if they, all right, so fine, for all sure of glory of the God, all right, so maybe it's only dealing with the Gentiles and Jews. All right, but what about Romans 6.23, you know, for the wage of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Well, if the wage of the sin is death and babies die, then babies must sin because that is the punishment of sin. It's death. That is what the normal interpretation that a lot of Protestants have. But first off, notice the parallelism again. Paul uses it all throughout Romans. The wages of sin is death. Gift of God is life. But what are wages? We think wages is like a punishment, but it's not. That's not what it's talking about. The, it's talking about the cost. Wages is like money language. It's not punishment language. It's uh so it's saying that the cost of sin or sin's payment or the payment that sin pays out is death. This is parallel directly in Romans 5, right? Sin, the evil tyranny, the, the evil ruler of this world, uh, which is Satan's, right? Satan is uh it says death is a power of Satan in, in Hebrews, uh Hebrews 2:14 to be specific. So say uh if you read the New Testament, sin, death, and Satan are kind of usually considered one in the same. They're, they're always kind of equalized, uh, not equalized, but equated with one another. Uh, so the cost of sin or sin's payment, the payment to sin, that sin pays out is death. So in other words, the cosmic tyrant of sin reigns in death. 
Remember what we said? Due to sin, it only pays out debt. So as you sin, he will pay you, but he's only going to pay you in death. The wages of sin is death. That's what he's going to pay you. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But that debt was already paid for you through Jesus Christ. He paid your debt. Your ledger is now clean. Your debt has been struck clean. But the wages that sin pays out is death. He covered your sin. So now you get to have eternal life. This is a parallelism. He is not talking about inherent natures from birth. He's again getting into this general idea because sin is corrupting the world, bringing it into mortality, right? Which is why we're separated from the tree of life, lest we live forever. God's presence is life. And this is kind of, a, I'm actually preaching a week from today at a school in Nashville, uh, at a Christian school. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is this issue, is this concept. Eden, God dwells with man. Mankind sins, so therefore they are jettisoned from the presence of God and therefore his life-giving presence, and they are now mortal. He starts he starts Eden, I mean, not Eden, Israel, and then he dwells among his people in a temple, and he gives them this law of life, and then he offers them life continually, and Israel becomes the new Eden where he dwells among his people. And then the Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ comes, the word becomes flesh, man with God, God with man, the ultimate touching point between heaven and earth come together, and God dwells among men. And then when he resurrects and ascends, he sends the spirit, which indwells his believers. And we are now the new temple of God where what? God dwells among men. This is a continual theme throughout scripture. That he wants to dwell with his creation. And that can only happen if your debt is struck out by him and you reject the cosmic tyrant of sin. The cosmic tyrant of sin brings us all under, mor under mortality, which is why we are promised a resurrection. Now, some people, of course, believe that the reason why we're cast out from God's presence or the tree of life is because God wanted to punish us. The early church actually viewed it as a mercy, lest we keep living in a sin-torn world and keep suffering, um, that eventually we get to resurrect into a glorified new creation. So anyway. Uh, I'll also way, add, just to further tangent this, so your verse of from Romans 6, 23 here, it's also an interesting parallel to Ephesians 2, 8. And I think it's a clarifying verse because there's, we have this problem when you, the original sin doctrine led to the doctrine of total depravity, which believes that mankind is so utterly depraved, mind, body, and soul, that they are unable to believe and respond to the gospel. So Christ has to regenerate them first and give them faith. And so there's a controversy. It's kind of an internet controversy or those among lay people that Ephesians 2.8, what is the gift? Is the gift salvation or is the gift faith? Well, here we see again in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So salvation, eternal life is the gift of God, which means Faith, salvific faith, faith that allows you to be saved, that brings you into Christ, is not the gift of God. We have one of the gifts after you're saved is faith, increasing faith, but actual salvific faith doesn't need to be given to you because you are not so corrupted by sin that you are unable to believe the gospel, that you're able to believe every other religion on the world just not unable to believe the only true one, which is the gospel of Christ. So just an, inter an interesting parallel and connotation of that verse too, is it does clarify Ephesians 2.8, if you're confused. The Greek is very clear on it, but it is a controversy. Right. And so 
Now, here's a little sneak peek for all you little gremlins. I what we're working on. I, many guys know I am finalizing the some details of my book that is going to be coming out. I have a title picked out for it now. Uh, Crushing the Great Serpent. Did God punish Jesus? That is the book we uh, will be released talking about the atonement of what Jesus about Jesus Christ, challenging penal substitutionary atonement, and presenting a more classical view. And in it, I discuss some of these things. Uh, now, original sin and inherited guilt is not a focus of the book, but it is touched on on the book. And I do discuss Romans 5. And one of the things I wanted to point out to is that I have a chart in the book where I just have the parallelism broken down in a very simple chart. So, Brian, if you could pull that up for everybody. And now, and I know the image might be a little small on your guys' screen here, but um, here, let's do, 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 there we go. So you guys can't see me right now, but there you go. But here we see the parallelism. Sin was in the world before the law was given. Sin is not counted where there is no law. So we see the way of death and the way of life. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. And the way of life then is inferring that the law of Moses is what brought life, okay? Then the way of death is the transgression of Adam. But then the way of life is a type of the one who was to come, which is Jesus Christ. And the way of death again, for if many died through one man's trespass, life says, but much more have has the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for man. So you can keep going through this. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but if you guys wanted to just pause it and look at this parallelism, uh, you will, you know, you'll kind of get the idea. And Dr. Matt Muzakis uh, actually was like, wow, good, that was a good idea putting that in there. And I was like, oh, I felt like it needed to be. So I was pretty happy about that. So anyway, um, so uh, anyway, that is a sneak peek of the book. That is a like one page of it, but that will be in there uh, for all of you guys. But that is that. And so real quick, I guess before we close up shop, we should probably get to some of the questions. So if yeah, you question I'll just add to, like we said at the beginning, you know, this verse from Romans 5, Romans 5, 12 and, and the like is constantly referenced when people are like, what are you talking about? You, you don't believe in original sin. You know, I don't believe the doctrine of original sin. And the other verse they go to is Psalm 51, 5 which is not talking about David being born a sinner and he's lamenting it. He's talking about his mom committing the sin of heat in the conception of him. He's lamenting that he conceived a baby in sin, just like his mother conceived him in sin. And you can see there's a parallelism, parallelism there, but it's not, it's not teaching born sinful now be careful of the english translations you use because like we talked about at the beginning your lens can affect how you read scripture turns out it also can affect how bible bible translators translate um the hebrew into english in some of the modern translations so be wary of like the niv and the csb is pretty bad on that i like yeah. the csb but csb does does a abysmal job at translating that too so uh, also Prudence McFrugal said, I think one of your fa new favorite words is parallelism. Only in this this episode, because there's a lot of parallels, parallelisms in it. But also that is they're all over the place in the New Testament. Um, like there are introverted parallelisms, all sorts of things. So it's it's funny because I hit that a lot, but that's mainly because so many people get it so wrong. Um, so uh, yes, so in Hebrews, it says, Jesus had a nature like ours. Shouldn't this passage alone refute sin nature or original sin? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
You are not wrong. Uh, so let's. So there's some that were asked at the very beginning. First off, Jarrett and Alyssa Neville 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 said, "Question: Why are you guys so based?" It says, "How are we so based? How are we so based? It's because of red. We eat red meat and and read scripture, and I keep soy out of my diet. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we do both drink some coffee, and that does have that can have some. Shut up. Soy. Let me have my moment. <laughs> We have our lattes. We want our warm milk just like the rest of the adults, okay? Yeah, I, I've been drinking black coffee because it's low calories, and that's what I – or zero calories. Hey, man, I've lost 19 pounds. 19 pounds. Uh, thank you, Dr. Jonathan Pritchett. All right, uh, for teaching me how to do this. All right. Izzy Centric says, did you guys get to take a look at my video on the demon behind Calvinism? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Izzy, you know, it's funny. I had that queued up and I didn't. Uh, it was one of those ones where I had it queued up and something happened to distract me. I have not watched your video yet. I did retweet it, though. So it means I may have retweeted something I totally disagree with. But I, I like you. So uh, <laughs> we'll just admit to that. I didn't retweet that. I don't know. I do want to listen to that, though. Yeah, so it is funny because, um, oh, oh yeah, that's right. Izzy is uh, he's a demonologist, so he studies a lot of demonology, which is fascinating, by the way. I wonder if he, I'm sure he's read like Dr. Heiser's work on demons, but like Izzy is very big on studying uh, demonology. Um, so, and that's actually I know some people are like, oh, Christians shouldn't do that, but I feel like we should know our enemy. So I think it's actually cool that there's a Christian kind of dedicated to that. So go check out Izzy's channel. He's also on TikTok. I think TikTok is his primary, but I think he's trying to get like break into the YouTube side of the world. So check him I out. I would love to hear his answer on um, on what when Jesus says that I never knew you says, and they said I cast out demons in your name. I would love his perspective on that because there's a few different explanations for that verse, but it's it, it's kind of an interesting interesting verse for those that don't believe that um, Jesus is talking to people that were ever Christians, and yet they're claiming to have cast out demons in his name. Anyway, we could just have Izzy on. We could just have Izzy on and talk about I'm, demon. I'm, that. I would love that episode. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Izzy, uh, we'll reach out Izzy to you. Knows. Yes, shoot us an email or DM us on Twitter or something. Um, don't do don't message me on TikTok though. I never on TikTok. I can't stand it. I, I tried. I'm still I'll still make content once in a while, but just don't message me on TikTok because I will not respond. Uh, so uh, Joshua Ham just simply said, "Can't wait for the Patreon part patron party." So he's been a he's a been a patron for a while. So thank you guys uh, for all your help and support. Uh, Jarrett says, did the whole church have this wrong from fifth to 16th century? No, the Orthodox didn't. They never exactly. believed it. Yeah. The Eastern Orthodox actually deny this. They, they actually, uh, do still hold Augustine as a saint, but it's kind of funny how the, uh, the Orthodox church views this. So the, the Catholic church, the Western church, especially the Catholic church because of their whole thing of like the magisterium, which is like grace leads the Catholic church to always affirm that, which is correct. Essentially uh, they were, they can't. So you have like, you have people like Thomas Aquinas who found workarounds with Augustine's teaching and did find ways to kind of correct him. But the Western church held on to a lot of this, but it was kind of like controversial and discussed and not as clear cut. But then Aquinas comes around and kind of moves some things around. And then you have Augustinian monks. And so there's certain like branches that sort of breaking off in the Catholic church of that. But the Eastern Orthodox church, Brian's 100% right. 
they only affirm ancestral sin, which is that the sins of your ancestors can impact you negatively, which is exactly actually what it means when he says the sins of the father will be visited on the son so that from the second and third or fourth generation. Like he's talking about like the consequences thereof will flow through many generations. It'll That's why he says it'll visit them, not that it's going to be counted as as theirs, but it, the sin will be visited on them. Yeah, um, or committing the same sins as your parents, like david is concerned about in psalm 51 5. right exactly so um and so yeah the eastern church actually has always rejected inherited guilt um i actually sat down with a uh orthodox priest joshua father joshua uh about this and talked to him about it which i thought was interesting anyway uh let's see Jarrett says no we shouldn't equate all the all the church with those who happen to know how to write and whose writing survived that's true that was in response to Jarrett. Um, now, this is the one I wanted to make sure we kind of talked about because our Rodrigo, oh, I know, is it not this one? So he says, I think the main issue is you guys have a concept of sin that doesn't match the Bible. Sin is simply a deviation from God's standards. People seem to think it's purposeful, conscious wrongdoing. Um, yeah, this is the whole like idea is sin's an archery term and it's missing the mark. Anything that you don't do, that's exactly what God wanted, then. Anything outside of God's will is sin. Essentially. But as we discussed, sin is also described as a tyrant. So mm -hmm. this isn't exactly true. We have a very biblical view of sin, but it's also it's a violation. It's a missing the mark, and it's a knowledge of something. That's when it's counted for you. Remember that it says you are count, sin is counted if you don't know. That's that's the thing. If you know that it's counted, it's that it, remember sin reigned. And sin existed before. Moses and all that death reigned from Adam to Moses because there was no law keeping it in check. That's the key kind of part here. It's not saying that you're not held accountable, like that there was no sin at all. It just says sin is not counted. Okay. Does that make sense? So yeah, and a friendly challenge, you know, okay. You say that we have it wrong. What verse would you go to that shows, shows us that we have it wrong? Like I would go to James one 14 through 15 and shows the progression of temptation to sin to death it it describes it exactly how we're saying it right and right uh and roddy said uh you know he pointed out james 4 17 he who knows to do good but does not do it do it to him it is sin so knowledge is uh, a part in it joshua ham asked if will hess is the equivalent of the joker in the rogues gallery riddler <laughs> <laughs> much yeah that's that's pretty uh so that might be giving me a little too too much of props but it's fun anyway uh micah kilmer uh, our friendly neighborhood hobbit says when it says law is it referring to the law of moses i believe so yes i think that's what it's referring to here um good question yeah, it is a good question because it could also. He also like asked that really early on before we talked about it. So. Yeah, well, I know I'm I'm just going through the the questions as we start them. Have they discussed the sea myth epic in Genesis or just the theology? We discussed it a little bit um, when we did our Genesis series. Yeah, you talked about Michael Heiser too, and. Yeah, and that there's like these the Assyrian myths and these other ones that kind of go alongside it. And I take the position that the that Genesis especially is uh, chapters one through eleven is writing kind of a polemic against a lot of assumed notions of the world. So that's why he makes sure that it, the sun, moon, and stars are known that they are created, not gods. They are created by gods. I think there's a lot of that being done in Genesis. Um, now this is the one of Rod of R. Rodriguez um, that I wanted to make sure we address. So I made sure I pulled this up. 
He says that Leviticus 5.17 alone defeats the idea that one must be aware of their sin for it to be sin, because in the law, they were still considered guilty. So was the law wrong? 5.17, Leviticus 5.17 says, if anyone sins, doing any of the things that the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. Now, that is, now notice, he did not know it, then the key part here is then realizes it <laughs> now he is held accountable because he knows but this is not to say and this is important this is not to say that suddenly uh he's held accountable uh be- not retroactive retroactively right exactly so suddenly now he is going to be because now he has made been made aware and what it's saying here is in Leviticus, and Leviticus 1 actually talks more about the sin of ignorance. There is a sin of ignorance that's mentioned that if someone sins and does not know, they are not aware. Well, it's still sin because remember that whole idea of God dwelling? Well, they believe that sin was aerosolized or this idea that it kind of, when you sinned, it continued to bring forth this corrupt wretchedness from you and corrupted the temple. It made it all dirty and smelly and impure, which is why they had to purify it with blood all the time. And all you had to do is if you caught yourself in a sin and suddenly you have to, quote, bear your iniquity, which was I have to go and purify. I have to make restoration for this and share a meal with God through an offering at the temple. That's what it was. So it is not this uh, like suddenly you're going to be put to death because you realize this the wrong way. So, no, no, you have to go figure it out. Um, So and he's clarifying that it doesn't say now, but it also doesn't say retroactively. I mean, right. we can all play the, the the mystery of the gaps here. But that's where, again, you have to understand the Levitical law. And uh, you could, Jacob Milgram is a great person to go look at uh, on how the law was applied. Uh, but Milgram talks about this a lot. Like, hey, Leviticus 1, it, there is a sin of ignorance. But the sin of ignorance was not held against them. But if you realize your guilt, then you were, you were expected to make restoration. But also, because there are sins of ignorance, they would also do offerings for the cases of sins of ignorance, we're like, and also for any sin I do not know, please here, take this gift as a gesture of love for you, because that was not meant to be an offense to break covenant with you. Um, I just know that I'm an imperfect person. It was it, so that it, this does not ref, even remotely refute the idea that one has to know that one that one doesn't have to know. Like, again, sin exists. You're just it's just not accounted towards you. Sin doesn't exist where there is no knowledge of it. In other words, you're not held accountable to it. It doesn't say that sin doesn't exist at all. Again, death reigned from Adam to Moses because sin still existed, but it lived without any checks or balances, and the law brought checks and balances. So I hope that kind of makes sense there. I think I I misspoke a few times there, so I'm hoping I make sense. Um, does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah, I think you're making sense. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, at least one person thinks in the world I'm making sense. But again, I think this actually may bears with our point where it says, and if you realize it, then he realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. So in order for sin to be counted, knowledge of it or awareness of it has to be there. And then he just has to go make a uh, purification. Uh, so Question, does the denial of the doctrine of original sin necessitate a denial of federal headship as well? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. 
Um, I don't think it necessitates the idea. Like, I think it still has some amount of federal headship, probably, uh, without the inherited guilt thing. But federal headship was really big by from Augustine, and that was why he believed in it was because of inherited guilt. I don't believe in federal headship. I don't think that's even in, in remotely close to the text. So I, I would just say like, it it would lend yourself to it. Do you have anything to say on it, Brian? No, I just say that you could try to make some mental gymnastics to keep the one without the other, but they do seem to be interrelated. Correct. All right. Uh, or at least I agree. In verse 18, judgment and free gift are not in the Greek text. That's uh, in Greek in uh, Romans 5. But uh, Jordan did actually address this Um in the chat, he actually said, no, it is. But apparently Jarrett was using the KJV. So sorry, I forgot to unstar that. Um, this I just thought was interesting. Chris Padeo says, I got out of Calvinism in 2021 and I am unlearning and learning things. This is very informative, brothers. Thank you. Will, thanks for accepting my friend request on Facebook. God bless y'all. You're very welcome, Chris. Uh, and congratulations on leaving Calvinism. Uh, it's I have a hard, I don't know, I always like want want to celebrate people for leaving uh, Calvinism because I think it's an error. And I know that puts me like really unpopular with a lot of like online theological circles. <laughs> well, I'd say we're, we're definitely not in the, we're not pro fishing in the other Christian buckets type of Christians. But what do you mean by that? <laughs> why? It's, it's kind of a joke, right? There's a funny meme about it where the, the Baptists are fishing out of the, out of the, out of the Catholic oh. bucket. So the right, but we want people to have a more true doctrine. So if you come out of a mindset that is incorrect, but still in Christ, that's, I think that's just part of the sanctification process, just like other realizations that one might have that are incorrect. I think that's all good. And we're not, we're not excited because people are leaving some church for another. We're just excited that people are, are becoming more Christ-like in humbling themselves to scripture. I, right. I think and, and coming to see God more clearly, right? Like, because mm -hmm. I remember when I when I shed penal substitutionary atonement and really understood Chris's victory and what all these themes were, I was like, I, I felt like I finally saw God in HD, right? Like, it was like, finally, all these other pieces made sense because... I shed all these other issues that I was raised around and realized how silly a lot of them were. And then I saw God with HD glasses and I celebrate that because I want to see God as best as I can. And also I think because Calvinism is a very dreary doctrine when you, when you see it for what it is. Now I know I, I, I'm not saying that Calvinists aren't brothers. I'm not saying that Calvinists are all these. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I believe Calvinism is a dreary doctrine and can bring a lot of people down. So I think it's, that's why I'm like, Hey, I'm glad you left because I think you can see God in his more glorious light. Cause I think it, leaving Calvinism is closer to the truth. But if nothing else, I celebrate anyone who's willing to study something and change their views, even if you uh, very honestly come to Calvinism. Okay. So uh, I'll just very much disagree with you. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan Thornburg asks, why are you guys so right about this? Man, I don't know. It's mainly because we're just oracles of truth. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, man, now is... we're actually going to be full of ourselves. Or at least get the more accusations of it yeah well it's fine uh we were both very very wrong on this topic for we're the so long lives, so <laughs> we've only been right the last like you know five six years of our lives so yeah. it's, it's fine it's fine thank god and, literally thank god literally that we were able to shed this doctrine because i think it 
it really ties into many different doctrines. And I think it clouds your perspective on so much of what you believe about Mary, what you believe about babies, what you believe about Jesus Christ, what you believe about how sin was atoned for, what you understand about the Levitical law. It, it really colors so much of scripture. So I'm just happy that I'll, I was able to shed it and see see um, what Paul and others had wrote in the New Testament for what it really was. So um, Ryan Bulkema said, or oh, it's not an L, Boykema, Bukema? Bukema, maybe? Uh, he says, and I, I'm just going to correct the typos, okay? So we are by nature children under God's wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 makes that clear. Couple things about this by nature, nature, yeah. By nature, you, Brian, do you already know what I'm going to say? You can go ahead and go yep, for it. Go for it. I was going to try my find my Sunday school lesson on this. <laughs> <laughs> nature means like habit that was acquired. Um, it, so it doesn't mean like uh, again, it doesn't talk. It's not referring to unilaterally from birth. It says by habits essentially that you learned or acquired. So if you understand, if you go into the Greek there and you really start digging into that, that's really what that word is actually getting at. You're by nature. Uh, under God's wrath. But here's what's also funny. It says that in that in the passage where it says you're children of wrath. Fun fact for you, children of wrath was an idiom for Gentiles um, because that's what the Jews would call them, children of wrath, because they were not God fearers at all. Um, so anyway, uh, let's see. Linguas Amo says, I disagree with the ancestral sin. It was my understanding that the phrase visited third and fourth generation, but shows grace and mercy to more generations, highlights the love and righteousness of God. What he's really saying is that consequences will be visited upon them. So this sin will be visited upon them. Like if I, if my wife drank bismally while pregnant with Eliana, then that sin would be visited upon Eliana. Uh, as she gets older. So not that she'd be held guilty for it, but this that sin is visited in other words, the consequences of. Um, get with the, po there's like kind of poetic imagery you kind of got to get with when it comes to Hebrew. Hebrew is kind of a cool, like when it's referring to like hatat and all these other Hebrew and Greek phrases. Anyway. Well, it also gets into the theodicies, right? Like why is there evil and why do people experience evil? Well, sometimes we experience the consequences of other people's evil actions. It just makes sense. It can follow generations and it can follow just interactions in general. Right. You can suffer the consequences of someone evil's evil actions right now. Um, Rodriguez, going back to it, says that he is he is guilty, um, not that he becomes guilty. Yeah. Five centimeters. I feel like we're getting really uh, nitpicky with this because you're not following the like. I don't feel like anyone reads anything the way you're trying to read it here, because it's like, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt. He shall bear his iniquity. Yeah, it does We're say not saying it's not sin necessarily. We're saying that there's no condemnation for it, right? Without the knowledge of it, because and then I think he... even if you accept your premise here that that uh, it's he's held retroactively guilty for those sins, what is the what's the what's the watershed moment here? What's the difference? His right. knowledge. Yeah, and well, again, it says it right there. Though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, then he shall bear his iniquity, right? Like it's kind of that concept. So Jordan clarifies again further. He goes, yes, under the old covenant, you could be guilty by not doing the law, even because of ignorance. But the old covenant, you could be guilty. 
Yeah, well, you you had sinned, but you weren't actually held guilty out of ignorance. Like that was actually a thing, even in the old covenant, at least to my knowledge that I've read. Um, everything like Milgram and other Old Testament scholars like him have pointed this out. Um, well, why are the children of Israel um, allowed to enter the Promised Land, but those that were that that followed the lies of the the spies that went into um, to Canaan and came back. Why were they prevented from entering the promised land, but the kids were not? What was the difference? The difference was their knowledge of good and evil, and it says that explicitly in Deuteronomy. Um, and uh, you're not seeing where it says then realizes it. Um, it. The, I don't think uh, it's in the King James. By yeah, the way. If you're, it, it depends probably what translation you're using. But Leviticus five seventeen. This is why it's pretty common knowledge amongst Old Testament scholars that knowledge is required. Um, to be held guilty in the old covenant, it was ne absolutely necessary. And then all you had to do was, and it was actually interesting because if you sinned against God with a high hand, there was no way that any sacrifice could actually uh, deal with that. Brian, remember that uh, I sent you that one article on it that we yep. read. And the only way, the only way to revert yourself to a, a state worthy of being cleansed or able to be cleansed was that you had to repent first, and then it shifted you back into it. But if you sinned by accident, then all you had to do was go, oops, I'm sorry, and then to the, to the offering. So Plus the um, Day of Atonement and all the all the actions that the priest had to do to essentially downgrade your high-handed sin to the one of ignorance. Exactly. So uh, Prudence McFrugal says, question, is visiting the iniquity and idiom for consequences of sin? Yes, I absolutely it is um, that there is. It's funny because you can even read like Jewish commentaries and they say the same thing. It's just it's kind of funny how, again, we Westerners, we take certain things very woodenly when we shouldn't take certain things woodenly. We're not getting with the link. It's like we, we read documents from 5000 years ago as if they would communicate the same way we would today. Um, so let's see, uh, if you, let's see, what was this one? If you did not know, you would not be guilty of sin yet. So yes, sin without consequences. Um, yeah. So yeah, you wouldn't be held. And that makes sense, right? Like if someone breaks a law and didn't realize it was a law, it would be unjust. Like it's okay. Somebody flies over here from, I don't know, Africa and suddenly doesn't realize that, oh, you're not allowed to drive like that. And we suddenly hit him with a bunch of fines, threw him in court. That'd be unjust of us because he didn't know no better, right? <laughs> like we, it's unjust to hold people accountable for things that they don't know. So, um, so anyway, um, and uh, our Rodriguez, I could go back and forth, but I'm just going to encourage you to go check out our video on Psalm 51.5 and then also our deep dive into the original sin where we talk about a lot more passages because I think we address how the Bible defines sin. Um, well, it's kind of interesting him bringing up Matthew 5.27 because Jesus is saying, have you not heard again? <laughs> he's pointing to a knowledge claim of sin and he is he's making a distinction there. So I, I don't I don't think this is proving what you think it's proving. Perhaps. Yeah, I'm not seeing it either. So um, I'm again not trying to be cheeky here, but I don't think you're you're quite seeing it. So let's see. Uh, good challenging questions. We appreciate it. Thanks for being in the chat. Exactly. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, even like the Jewish, more Jewish versions of Leviticus 5.17, like the Tree of Life version says, now if anyone sins and one of Adonai's commandments that are not to be done, though he did not know it, still he's guilty and will bear his iniquity, and though he did not know it. So that's, so yeah, this is like the same thing where he's saying that that then realizes it isn't in the text, but that is why it is important to compare various different translations and also what people have said about what the ancient documents would reflect in this. Um, because yes, the, that's why also, if you're going to read Leviticus chapter five, um, if you're going to read Leviticus chapter five, I suggest you also start in Leviticus chapter one and see how the sins of ignorance were applied, because then you will see what he's getting at Leviticus five. And once you have them all in tandem, you'll realize that knowledge was required to be held accountable. And yeah, so. Um. Yeah, and I think, again, he's talking to chat. But again, we're talking about in Romans 5, it's saying that there is no condemnation for sin if there is no knowledge of it. Right, exactly. So you're not held accountable to it if you don't know about it. Doesn't mean that it doesn't exist at all, right? So again, um, so. Some of you are. That is a good question, Noah Fletcher. Does that mean people who are ignorant of Christianity or disagree out of ignorance aren't going to be lost? What video is it that we talk about that in? I don't remember now. Um, we could probably just do a video here at some point, like the what is we the bring it up. I bet I can search for it real quick. Um, but essentially, this goes into the question of are you inclusivist or exclusivist? And Brian and I are inclusivists based on Romans chapter one and two, especially for uh, Romans two, 14 and 15. I think the Bible does teach that the secrets of men will be judged by Jesus Christ and that we'll be held accountable to how we respond to the revelation that we have access to. I do believe that is what the Bible teaches. And so, yes, I do believe that that will that there can be mercy upon those who did not know any better or who are unevangelized. To what extent, how did all that works? I don't I do not know. I know God is merciful. I know God is just. And I trust him to kind of deal with that part. So I think it is actually in our original sin video that we talked about that. Yeah. OK, maybe maybe that maybe that's so we'll we'll. We'll find out, or we'll just we could just do a video on uh, what about the fate of the unevangelized. We could always yeah, talk about that. That would that. be that, a, be... that would actually be a great topic to dive into. But yeah, that's episode one seventy. If you want to check out even more discussion about original sin, <laughs> yeah. It's, well, that's why we talk. I mean, I don't. I know we 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 talk about Calvinism, fundamentalism a lot, and we've talked about original sin a lot. But it's because this thing is so tied up to so many things. So if we if we kind of can eventually hit all the main things, uh, we won't keep touching on these, but we're just, we do feel like these should be given their proper due. So um, Noah Fletcher does respond with, uh, yes, I have a similar view. I believe that people can be judged, uh, can be judged by their own standard and hardly anybody meets their own standards. So they're kind of still screwed. <laughs> um, and this is why I just believe uh, that God will judge them. The secrets of men will be judged by Jesus Christ. Their thoughts will either accuse them or excuse them. And I'm leaving that in God's hands. But I do think that people who have not heard of Jesus Christ can be still judged mercifully by Jesus Christ. Um, so anyway, uh, with that said, uh, Brian, uh, I don't know if you have any more to say, but I just wanted to say that 
I hope you guys have enjoyed this video on Romans chapter 5 and the parallel that exists there and what the text is truly teaching. And perhaps next time you get into a discussion with somebody on this, you'll have a resource now that you can go to to draw from the general meetings. Yeah, I'll just say, again, read the verses in Romans 5. You're not going to find born guilty at all in those chapters. So if you've used that with others and said, see, it's there, please see that it's not there. And then hopefully um, hopefully that can help improve how you're discussing about this. And if you still believe in original sin doctrine, just don't use Romans 5 as your proof text is not there. It just, it's going to erode your point. Absolutely. And uh, R. Rodriguez, who, he said, let me clarify, I simply believe all people have sin and that is why they die. I think you're going to have to find a way to demonstrate how babies have sin. And I just want to make sure you, you got to try to figure out how babies somehow have sin. And I would encourage you to study people like N.T. Wright's views of Romans and what scholarship has shown regarding the tyrant of sin and the language of um, patron-client relation and that sort of thing. When you kind of dig into that, you might see that where the confusion and where the trip up is happening and why it seems like you, you're, you know, Jordan might feel like he's talking past you, but I think it's because you might not be understanding the things that we're trying to drive at in this. So um, and I think all... too, there's Go three ahead. people that you need to consider in your comp in your, your point. You said people have sin and that's why they die. You have Jesus who died, who did not sin. And you have Elijah and Enoch who didn't die. So did they not sin? If you're tying those things directly together, you have a problem with at least three different people in the Bible. Right, exactly. So just those things to consider and think about that for a little bit. And then again, patron-client relationships, uh, the, the tyrant of sin, or you look up sin personified, and you can look up all various journal articles and do some research on it. Uh, and you know, come back and leave us a comment after you've done some of that. And Maybe your views will change. So anyway, with that Last said, thing I want to say real quick, Will, is just that I know one of the other things we got at the, at the last Original Sin video is like, so you guys just, what do you think happened from creation? What happened? Because we are sinning. Why are we sinning so much? And we would say that it's, it's because we have a corrupted nature. We have a corrupt moral fortitude. Something did change. And we were given this knowledge of good and evil that, in the flesh that was not designed for it creates this temptation. And we would point to James 1, 14 through 15, that shows us pretty explicitly that that temptation leads to sin. And when that sin is acted upon, it brings forth death. Correct. So awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate you guys hanging out with us. I hope this was a helpful video for you. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to the channel. It really does help us out a lot. Leave us a comment. That also helps leave us five-star reviews on Spotify and Apple and every other audio platform that we're available on. And on a, if you want to, join us on Patreon. And we will have a live stream here soon uh, where you can interact with us directly and ask us all sorts of whatever question. DC versus Marvel. Uh, how many Indiana Jones movies are there really? The answer is only three and uh, stuff like that. I just ruined it. Well, I'm just giving people ideas. So anyway, <laughs> with that said, I hope you all have a great time and hope to see you guys all next week on the church split. So take care and God bless.
And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we gotta be strong. We gotta be healthy. When you wanna feel nice and strong and satisfied, you gotta check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Knowles for that. We also want to thank Free Life Soap because I don't know about yes. y'all, but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. Yes, I did. Yes, sir. And it was great. Or this. Hi, guys. My name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video content a whole month. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month. 